0: Hey, this is Dave DeCamp from Antiwar.com. This is Antiwar News for Monday, June 26th, 2023. All right, so the first story at the top of antiwar.com today is about Yevgeny Prigozhin's short-lived mutiny. So I'm sure that, you know, you most of you have heard about the head of the Wagner Group, the Russian private military company, the mercenary force, launched some sort of insurrection on Friday and it was again very short-lived. So just a brief synopsis of it before I go over this story. On Friday, it started with Prigozhin and uh, accusing Russia of bombing his Wagner mercenary force. There was some video that was put out on Telegram, but you know, there's no way that you could really tell what happened. Uh, you know, if it was Russian airstrikes that hit this area or what. And then he released the video and went on, you know, one of his big tirades against Russian military leadership that have become kind of common now. But then, uh, you know, these Wagner forces entered Russia from, you know, Russian controlled areas of Ukraine, and they took control of a military base in Rostov, in Rostov-Andan, which is the capital of the Rostov Oblast, which borders Ukraine. And then they started marching towards Moscow. There were reports of some clashes between Wagner uh, fighters and, and Russian forces. Those aren't really confirmed. But it was a very hectic, you know, two days in Russia on Friday and Saturday. And then on Saturday, they uh, reached some sort of deal and Prigozhin, you know, turned his men around and they went back to their bases. So, again, it was there was so much, I think, uh, bad information flying around on the Internet, especially on Twitter, about what was really going on here. But it was just a very hectic, uh, you know, news cycle. So this article, uh, we had Will Porter covering it um, while I was off, and he did a really good job. So this article is kind of about the deal. It's a more another summary of it, but it's also about the deal that was reached between Prigozhin and Russia. What little we really know about it? So the article is titled, Prigozhin headed for Belarus after ending insurrection. So Russia's Wagner Group has called off its march on Moscow and agreed to stand down after launching a two-day mutiny And seizing a military base in the city of Rostovendon, the Kremlin said that it would drop all charges against the company and its leader, Yevgeny Prigozhin, who has been guaranteed safe passage to Belarus. So Prigozhin shared a brief audio statement to social media on Saturday confirming his decision to withdraw, saying that the PMC would return to its field camps and continue their previous operations in Ukraine. Uh, So PMC stands for private uh, military company. So Prigozhin said, quote, they wanted to disband PMC Wagner on June 23rd. We went on a march of justice in a day. We advanced on Moscow just 200 kilometers short. And during this time, we did not shed a single drop of the blood of our fighters, end quote. So earlier on Saturday, he announced that they uh, captured the southern military district headquarters in Rostov, less than one day after accusing the Russian military of launching a missile strike on a Wagner position and vowing to take his complaints directly to the Kremlin. So he harshly criticized the leadership of Russian defense minister Sergei Shoigu, demanding his resignation along with the chief of staff of the armed forces, Valery Gerasimov. and he is the head, basically the head of the uh, war effort. Um, and Shoigu, again, is the defense minister, and, and for a while now he's been really critical of these two Um, When he was putting out those videos, you know, saying, accusing the Russian military of not providing his fighters with enough ammunition during Bakhmut, this is who he was signaling out. Um, So while the full extent of the mutiny remains unclear, unverified videos making the rounds online purported to show active clashes between Wagner and Russian regulars. A Reuters correspondent also said they witnessed a military helicopter firing on a mercenary column. Driving near the city of Voronezh, about halfway to Moscow from Rostov, but noted that the fighters faced little substantial resistance on the road. So I'm not sure if there was any casualties or what. Um, You know, I was really looking, and and it's been hard to, to find. Again, I saw lots of claims, you know, on social media, but nothing really verified. So Reuters also cited a Russian source who said that Wagner troops had taken military installations in Voronezh though it was unable to confirm the claim. So Vornech is the oblast. It's Rostov oblast. Vornech is north of it. And then there's a, a pretty still a good amount of time between, you know, if you're going to Moscow, is further north than that area. Um, so, yeah, and it didn't look like, you know, for the most part, nobody really took Prigozhin's side because he's basically, you know, launching this mutiny. Uh, You know, a lot of people were calling it a coup, but a coup really means that there's a plan, you know, within the military or whatever organization and, you know, it would be all activated at the same time and and there would be a, you know, change of power. This seemed more like a mutiny and insurrection uh, that didn't get very far. So now uh, Lukashenko, the Belarusian President he, he said that he successfully mediated talks with Prigozhin and Putin. He apparently brokered between the two of them. Although Prigozhin did not mention that Lukashenko uh, did that in his remarks, but the Kremlin did uh, confirm that. So Lukashenko's press service said, "Quote: Yevgeny Prigozhin accepted the proposal of President Alexander Lukashenko to stop the movement of armed men of Wagner in Russia." and to take further steps to de-escalate tension, end quote. So the Kremlin confirmed the negotiations later on Saturday night with Dmitry Peskov, who's the Kremlin spokesman, stating Prigozhin would go to Belarus in de facto exile. All charges against him and his fighters would be dropped. And Wagner members who did not take part in the insurrection would be permitted to continue serving under defense ministry con- defense ministry contracts. From what I understand, it wasn't all the Wagner fighters that joined in on this uh, little insurrection. Um, Pezkov continued, quote, there is a supreme goal to avoid bloodshed, to avoid internal confrontation, to avoid clashes with unpredictable results. It was in the name of these goals that mediation efforts were implemented, end quote. Uh, he said that personnel changes within Russia's military leadership did not come up during talks because I guess that was Prigozhin's demand was you know, for Shoigu to be ousted. Um, but the Kremlin saying, you know, that wasn't even discussed. So uh, and another thing will mentioned, you know, Saturday morning. So because I was following this, not super closely, uh, but Saturday morning, Putin came out and gave this speech, uh, you know, vowing to crush the rebels and warning that any mutiny would pose a dire threat to the Russian state itself. He sounded like, you know, it seemed like Putin was taking it very, very seriously. He compared it to 1917, you know, the Russian uh, Bolshevik revolution. So, you know, because Friday night, it was tough to really know what was going on. Again, so many claims on on Twitter and stuff. But then seeing Putin say that, it's like, whoa, it seems like something really big is happening here. But then, you know, it was uh, over shortly after that. So there's a lot of speculating that can be done over this. uh, But uh, we have some more stories about it, but please, I'm open, you know, if if you're listening and, and you feel like I might have left out some big details here, or if you have your theories, uh, you know, please uh, let me know. Uh, but the next one here, Blinken on Russia crisis, we haven't seen the last act. So Secretary of State Antony Blinken suggested on Sunday that the U.S. was expecting more unrest in Russia following Yevgeny Prigozhin's two-day uprising. So Blinken told CBS News on Sunday, quote, I think we're in the midst of a moving picture. We haven't seen the last act. We're watching it very closely and carefully, end quote. So when asked if the U.S. was in touch with Russia about the crisis, Blinken said that he instructed his team to engage with Russia to ensure that they understood their responsibilities in terms of protecting U.S. personnel, So there's no sign, you know, Blinken, uh, there's no sign that he attempted to speak with uh, Sergei Lavrov, the Russian foreign minister, about the incident. He's basically refused to speak with Lavrov at all since the Russian invasion. They've only spoken like two or three times, I believe. And one time was like a brief 10 minute chat on the sidelines of a G20 conference. So he's just completely abandoned diplomacy with Russia. And even after a big incident like this, you know, Russia's got over 6000 nukes. You know, you think the U.S. might be concerned about the potential destabilization of the country, um, unless that's their goal, uh, if that's their goal, of course. But so Blinken said that Prigozhin's dissent showed real cracks in Russia. He said, quote, it was a direct challenge to Putin's authority. So this raises profound questions. It shows real cracks. We can't speculate or know what exactly where that's going to go we do know that putin has a lot more to answer for in the weeks and months ahead end quote so he's kind of sounding hopeful that more is going to happen again not concerned about um you know russia's nuclear arsenal and macron the french president he made similar comments on sunday saying that the military saying that the mutiny shows divisions that exist within the russian camp so macron also said something kind of interesting maybe revealing he said that the crisis justifies western support for kiev he said quote all this should make us very vigilant and fully justifies the support that we are giving to the ukrainians in their resistance end quote so don't get don't get really what he means by that unless you know the goal of this support for kiev is to kind of you know bring down the russian government not that i think it was really under threat of being overthrown but you know, that's kind of what he's hinting at here, I, I, I think, by saying something like that. And then also on Sunday, President Biden spoke with Zelensky about the situation in Russia. According to Zelensky's press uh, office, Zelensky said, quote, yesterday's events exposed the weakness of Putin's regime, end quote. So that's kind of the reaction from the U.S. Uh, and Ukraine and its allies, kind of rubbing it in a little bit uh, by saying things like this. We haven't seen the last act. The next one here, reports say that U.S. intelligence knew Prigozhin was planning a mutiny. So several U.S. media outlets are claiming that U.S. intelligence was aware that Wagner leader Yevgeny Prigozhin was planning to take military action against Russia's defense establishment before his short-lived uprising began on Friday. According to a report from the New York Times, U.S. intelligence officials briefed senior military and Biden administration officials on Wednesday about Prigozhin's plans. The report said congressional leaders were briefed on the plot on Thursday, and that was also reported by CNN. The Washington Post reported that U.S. spy agencies picked up intelligence in mid-June about Prigozhin planning an armed action and quickly informed the White House and other government agencies. An anonymous U.S. official told the Post that Prigozhin's exact plans were not clear, but that there was enough signals to be able to tell the leadership that something was up. So the Washington Post report said that the U.S. was concerned about what potential instability would mean for the control of Russia's massive nuclear arsenal, but the U.S. was not concerned enough to make this information public. The New York Times report said that the U.S. officials felt that if they said anything, Putin could accuse them of orchestrating a coup, and it says that they clearly had little interest in helping Putin avoid a major embarrassing fracturing of his support. None of the reports said how U.S. intelligence obtained the information about Prigozhin's plans. Um, who knows exactly how accurate this is. I think just think this is interesting that they're saying that, oh yeah, we knew this was coming. Uh, Prigozhin has been publicly feuding with Russian military leadership for months after accusing Moscow of not providing his soldiers enough support for the brutal battle of Bakhmut. So that feud between Prigozhin and the Russian military escalated on June 10th, when Russia's military brass said that all volunteer fighters must sign contracts with the Russian defense ministry. Prigozhin said that Wagner would refuse the order, which he saw as an attempt by the defense ministry to control the mercenary force. So now it seems like whatever Wagner fighters were not involved are going to be signing contracts with the Russian defense ministry. Um now that Prigozhin is going to be uh, exiled in Belarus. So, uh, you know, again, there's so much speculation that we could do. I'm not really going to get into it about potential US foreknowledge. What does that mean? You know, I know some people are questioning if the US, you know, or other Western intelligence was involved in this, maybe tried to push Prigozhin to do something like this. Who knows? Um, but we do know that it was brewing for a while and Prigozhin, you know, based on just observing him and watching the videos and telegram, he was, you know, it seemed like he was kind of going crazy. I mean, there's a video of him uh, surrounded by corpses of Wagner fighters, you know, really railing against the Russian military where he looked especially, you know, kind of nuts, but at the same time he is surrounded by dead people, you know, and he's sending, he was sending them into this battle and they were being killed. So I'm sure that that takes a toll on, on, uh, you know, your psyche there. But, Again, it's been brewing for a while. There's definitely the possibility that maybe the US and tried to give him a nudge in some way if it was intelligence. Maybe he didn't know it was uh, Western intelligence he was dealing with. But again, I'm not going to get into that. But please tell me your theories in the comments because I'm curious and we're all trying to figure this out. All right, so moving past the Pergosian stuff, the next story here, the Pentagon says that cluster bombs are useful for Ukraine. So a Pentagon official has told Congress that controversial cluster munitions Ukraine has been seeking from the U.S. would be useful to Ukrainian forces on the battlefield. Cluster bombs scatter small submunitions, or bomblets as they call them, over large areas, making them especially hazardous to civilians. Because of their indiscriminate nature, cluster munitions have been banned by more than 100 nations. But the U.S., Ukraine, and Russia are not parties to the treaty known as the Convention on cluster munitions both sides in the current conflict in Ukraine have reportedly been uh have reportedly used cluster bombs in the fighting both sides are accused of it and Kiev the Ukrainian government was using them against populated areas of Donetsk in the donbass war going back to 2014. Ukraine has been asking the U.S. to send cluster munitions that are in Pentagon stockpiles, and the Biden administration has been under growing pressure from Republicans in Congress to oblige the request. Now, the Pentagon appears to have come out in favor of sending dual-purpose improved conventional munitions, that's a cluster bomb, with several variants, including the 155mm artillery round, I think that's what Ukraine is really after. So this is from Laura Cooper. She's a deputy assistant secretary of defense for Russia, Ukraine, and Eurasia. She told the House Armed Services Committee that these munitions would be useful for the Ukrainians on the battlefield. So according to Politico, senior Biden administration officials have previously said that they would not send the cluster munitions, but they now they are more ambiguous about the idea. So they're not really saying what they're going to do. And that signals that they're more open to providing them. So U.S. official told Politico that at this point, no decision has been made. But this is something uh, that we might see you know, soon in the future. All right, the next one here, Ukraine says F-16 training for Ukrainian pilots will start in July. So Ukrainian Defense Minister Alexei Reznikov said Saturday that training for Ukrainian pilots on U.S.-made F-16 fighter jets should begin next month. Reznikov said, quote, the designated persons have been identified and the program will be prescribed by the beginning of July. It will be announced and I can optimistically say that training will begin in July, end quote. So the effort to arm Ukraine with F-16s, it's being led by the Netherlands and Denmark, and both countries, as well as Belgium, are expected to provide Ukraine with F-16s, but they haven't made a final commitment yet. So we still don't know the number that they're going to get, and I still think it's possible that the U.S. is going to end up sending their own F-16s. You know, So far, Biden has just basically given the green light for the, the delivery of F-16s from European countries, but you know, I won't be surprised if in the near future, we'll, we'll be seeing the U.S. pledging to send F-16s. And, you know, I wonder if this whole debacle in Russia is going to kind of embolden the hawks to say, oh, look, you know, Putin is threatened. Let's really ramp things up here. Let's give them the F-16s, give him the attackums, give them the cluster bombs. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if that's how they respond to this. So it's also unclear at this point. How, you know, We don't know how many F-16s they're going to get, and it's not clear how long the training is going to be, but it should sounds like it's going to start soon, so we'll probably get more information then. Uh, all right, so the next one here, Zelensky ratchets up the culture war with ban on Russian books. So this article is from Kyle Anzalone at the Libertarian Institute, and Zelensky has uh, signed a law... A bill into law last week banning the import of books produced in Russia or printed in the Russian language. The new law is Kiev's latest escalation in its extensive effort to eliminate Russian culture in Ukraine. So Zelensky has led a campaign of de-Russification within Ukraine. Last year, Kiev's legislature passed a bill that will heavily restrict books manufactured in Russia. So that's what he signed into law. And so what this law does, you can't import books from Russia or Belarus. And if you want to input a book, a a Russian book from a third country, you have to get a permit. So it's very, you know, overreaching law uh, to, you know, ban more things Russian. All right. The next one here, US aircraft carrier makes a port call in Vietnam. So the aircraft Carrier USS Ronald Reagan docked in Da Nang, Vietnam on Sunday for a six day visit to the country amid rising tensions between the US and China in the region. So the Ronald Reagan's port call marks only the third time that a US aircraft carrier has visited Vietnam since the end of the Vietnam War. The last time a carrier docked in Vietnam was in 2020, and before that was 2018, so all kind of in recent years. And the U.S. is looking to strengthen its ties with Vietnam as part of its policy against China, although Vietnam uh, is looking to balance relations between the two powers, and they have this diplomatic strategy that they call bamboo diplomacy. So retired Major General Lee Van Quang, retired Vietnamese Major General, He told the South China Morning Post that visits from U.S. aircraft carriers were now the new normal as the two nations have forged stronger ties. He said, quote, as the two nations have established a comprehensive partnership, it is completely normal for a U.S. aircraft carrier to come to Vietnam, end quote. So Vietnam has overlapping claims with China and several other countries in the South China Sea, so they're involved in that dispute. Uh, They recently rebuked Beijing over Chinese research vessels operating in Vietnam's exclusive economic zone, which extends 200 nautical miles from its coast. According to the 1982 uh, United Nations Convention on the Law of the Sea, that's the unclosed treaty, a country has a special right to the resources in its EEZ, again, its exclusive economic zone. And Vietnam also rebuked the Philippines, a close treaty ally of the U.S., for placing buoys near the contested Spratly Islands, which are claimed by Vietnam, China, the Philippines, and Taiwan. So, if you're watching the video here, you could see on the map that this blue line is Vietnam's claims. So they make very sweeping claims to the South South China Sea that go well beyond, you know, their coast, their EEZ, and you know their territorial waters and all those things that are de- defined by the UNCLOS treaty. Um, and that's probably because they claim these islands as their territory. So then what happens is they claim the islands and then they want to claim the unclose, you know zones based on those islands. That's how a lot of these countries make these claims. So, you know, it's kind of a mess because you see they overlap claims with not just China, but also Malaysia, uh, Brunei, and the Philippines. A lot with the- they cut in to a lot of areas claimed by the Philippines and uh, it's also worth pointing out that the same area China claims, which is this red line here, uh, Taiwan claims as well. I believe they actually got the red, the nine dash line, they call it, from the nationalists, the Kuomintang. Uh, were the first ones to kind of draw that out. Um, so, yeah, it's just kind of a, a messy situation there. And the U.S. is really just involved just to oppose China. I mean, they've they've taken the Philippine side against China, but it's not like they take the Philippine side against Vietnam or, you know, it's just they're there to annoy China. It basically seems like Um, and again, aircraft carriers have been entering these waters a lot more commonly uh, in recent in recent years. Uh, All right, so the next one here, Chinese planes come close to Taiwan's 24-mile zone. So the Taiwanese Defense Ministry said that eight Chinese People's Liberation Army warplanes came close to Taiwan's contiguous zone, which extends 24 nautical miles off the island's coast. So since then, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi visited Taiwan last August, August 2022, PLA warplanes have regularly crossed the median line, an informal barrier that separates the two sides of the Taiwan Strait that the PLA, they used to avoid crossing um, since Pelosi went. Now they cross that line all the time, but they still have not breached this barrier, the contiguous zone, which again is 24 nautical miles off the coast of Taiwan. The Taiwanese Defense Ministry wrote on Twitter that Taiwan's armed forces detected 19 PLA aircraft, including eight that crossed the median line and approached the 24 nautical mile line. China has kept up the military pressure on Taiwan as the U.S. has continued to increase support for Taipei. Um, you know, One recent example I've been talking about a lot is the U.S. deploying about 200 troops to Taiwan for training purposes. And that's the largest known U.S. military presence in Taiwan since 1979. So Taiwanese Defense Minister Xu Kuo-cheng, he said earlier this year, you know, he said, recognized that China is increasing the pressure on Taiwan by flying closer to it in response to Taiwan's increasing relationship with the U.S. That's why they're doing it. Um you know, and again, that's not just me saying it. It's Taiwan's defense minister. It's very clear. And Chu, at the time, expected the PLA to enter the contiguous zone if House Speaker Kevin McCarthy visited Taiwan. So this was before McCarthy met with President Tsai in California. Originally, he was going to travel to Taiwan. Taiwan convinced him not to do it because they were worried that China China's response would be too big. So he met with the Taiwanese president in the U S and China still launched huge drills in response. They were the largest since the Pelosi drills, but they weren't as extensive as those ones, but they were still pretty close. They again, simulated a blockade. Um, but the Pelosi ones were huge. They were the largest China ever did around Taiwan. So you get the Pelosi drills and the McCarthy drills. (laughs) Um, so the Taiwanese defense minister said that if Chinese warplanes entered the contiguous zone, uh, Taiwan would restrain themselves from launching the first strike. He's saying Taiwan would not fire on Chinese planes if they entered the 24 mile zone, because then they think they'd be giving China an excuse to attack Taiwan. But if Chinese aircraft enter Taiwan's airspace, which extends 12 nautical miles from its coast, he said that Taiwanese forces would have to respond. So not, you know, I guess, is he saying that they would fire on these planes? I don't know, but um you know they're they're gonna you know get closer and closer it seems like to taiwan as the u.s continues to increase support so there's just always a chance of something happening you know if if china comes you know too close for you know close enough that taiwan thinks they should respond all right but that's everything that's all the news for today again the big news was uh pergojin's uh you know, uprising, whatever you want to call it. So, yeah, again, please let me know what you guys think, what your theories are. I know I've seen some people say maybe it was a Russian psyop, but I don't really get what Russia would benefit from it. Um, But go check out our viewpoints. We have one from David Stockman, Enough of the Ukrainian Clown Show. We have one from Ted Snyder, China caught spying on the U.S. again. One from Senator Rand Paul over at the Quincy Institute. Uh, NATO's Article 5 does not override Congress's war powers. One from Bradley Devlin at the American Conservatives starved for peace. And then our spotlight is from Joe Loria, Biden would need his pound of flesh from Assange. Um, so that's everything for today. You could always support us at antiwar.com slash donate. Um, sign up for our newsletters too. Go to slash newsletter. Uh, put your email in there. They send out like a daily mailer. And then uh, when we do our fundraisers, you know, you get letters then too. Um, yeah, but that's everything. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow with some more news. Thanks for listening.